children, uh, there are kids, but in the grand scheme of things, we're God's kids. And so it's great to worship with them. And it's one of the promises of the Bible, that the gospel is not only for us, but it's for our children. So it's great to have them with us. Um, speaking of kids, I've got three, and um, it's an awesome joy to have kids. And um, it's great being a dad, but sometimes, like, you don't want to be a dad. I mean, you do, but you really want to be a dad, but you still want to be cool. And sometimes those two things can't happen. Uh, fortunately, a few things have helped um, in our culture, like it's okay to rock the dad bod, um, so that's great. Um, so that, 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 I've got that going for me. Um, the other thing that's, I never wanted to be a dad because I always felt like when you were a dad, all of a sudden your birthday presents and your Christmas presents turned into one thing, socks. Everybody was like, let's get them socks. And so for the longest time, like I've been able to avoid that. But this last, um, last birthday, I got socks for my wife. They're pretty cool. They say caliente on them. <laughs> so I love being a, a pastor of a, a church that has a, an awesome Hispanic crew because um, caliente is, you know, I'm, I'm just, I love hot sauce. So my wife was like, well, he just loves hot sauce so much, so I'm going to give him caliente socks. Um, so we've got cool socks going for me. But I'm a dad, um, and it's one of the greatest joys and privileges of, um, of just being a follower of God is that God's blessed me with three children. Um, so let's go from Caliente to Christ, though. Um, I think that's, that's appropriate. But one thing I did want to say, and what's interesting is when we hear God's word taught, when we hear the gospel, Luke in his gospel records that it's meant to be a fire that starts to burn in our hearts. It's meant to be hot. God's word is meant to motivate us. It's meant to inspire us. It's meant to encourage us. And my hope and prayer is that's what happens this morning as we launch this brand new series called Undercover Church. So we're in week one of this series, and um, our goal is really simple with this brand new series, Undercover Church. Our goal is to walk through the story of one church from, from inception to legacy. If you've heard that word inception before, it's a pretty cool movie um, out with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, a uh, Caliente kind of guy. And, um, but it's this movie where he was implanted in people's dreams to, to steal something, except for the movie switched halfway through and all of a sudden, he was in people's dreams to try to plant and give them an idea. God is doing the same thing with his church. He's implanting to his people the desire to be a church, a community of people called out for him. So we're looking at this idea of undercover church from inception from how God plants the idea into people's minds to legacy. And this is our story as well. How do you plant a church? Paul's asking the same question in the book of Acts. How do you plant churches? How do you reach nations with the gospel? 
with the truth that one man died for their sins and rose again so they can have a right relationship. How does this even work? I share that because it's our story in terms of the historic faith tradition that we have, but it's also our story here at Awaken. How do we plant a church? That's our 2020 vision, is to plant another church in this city, in this community. And so we're going to look at one church um, in the book of Acts, but also has a letter associated. We're going to look at the church at Philippi. We're going to build over the next five weeks a profile and a case study of this church. Because I think if we study this, we'll start to see the beautiful vision that God has for his people and what the church really should be. Because I think all of us know that the church is pretty banged up sometimes. The church is ridiculed. The church is hypocritical. The church is, is hurting and broken and bruised just like people are. And so what is the big idea that we're going to walk through? The big idea is simple, that the triune God is going to direct and build the mission of his church. So you guys can go ahead and put your fingers in Acts 16, or uh, flip open uh, your phones, switch them on, go to Acts 16. We're going to spend a bulk of our time in Acts 16. And Acts is uh, written by Luke, and we're actually going to get to know this figure a little bit more. Um, but Acts uh, is written by Luke. It's the second of his accounts. The first was all about Jesus. Um, but the second is Acts. And I'd love to read um, uh, a few verses um, in Acts 1, set things up, and then we'll jump all the way to Acts 16. So Acts 1, 7 and 8. Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Again, we see a triune God here. Jesus speaking about the authority of the Father and the mission of the Holy Spirit in the church. But what's cool about this verse is our role is we're called to be witnesses. The word in the New Testament that most describes Christians isn't Christians. In fact, it's not even disciples. It's actually witnesses. People who witness that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he rose from the dead. So Luke goes on and he sets up this whole book of Acts and he sets it up in just like this verse says. I'll read it to you again. Acts 1.8. You receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What's cool about this is chapters 1 through 7 in Acts all happen in Jerusalem. They're all going on in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 12 happen in Judea and Samaria. In chapters 13 through 28, to the ends of the earth. If you're a college student, if you remember anything from college, this is how you write a thesis paper, right? You're introducing the flow of your thought, the flow of your narrative. Luke does the same thing here. And what's awesome is chapters 1 through 7, again, they're in Jerusalem. There's seven chapters. Hebrew number of perfection is seven 
And at the end of those seven chapters, we see Stephen martyred for being a witness to Jesus Christ. We see the heavens open up. We see Jesus Christ ruling and reigning over all things, even though his people are rejecting him. Luke gives us that vision. Acts is about Jesus Christ. And so we're going to skip forward, but I think that's important that Acts isn't about a bunch of stories, a bunch of cool anecdotes of the early church. It's not about the apostles and how cool they were as pastors. They did have a lot of pastor swag. But it's about Jesus Christ as the Messiah. It's about the acts of the triune God in building his church. This is what Acts is about. And so let's fast forward all the way to Acts 16. And we're going to start in Acts 16.10. Again, Acts chapter 16, verse 10. After he'd seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to evangelize them. And so, I don't know if you guys ever played Bible roulette, but that's kind of like we just played Bible roulette there. Just read a verse. We're going to come back to that verse several times, but my hope is to unpack it. We're going to look at a little bit what happened before, a little bit about what happened afterwards, because that's what Undercover Church is about, how a church was planted at Philippi. But this verse is important, and this verse is so important for, for one main reason. After he'd seen the vision, it's talking about Paul, we immediately made efforts. So who's the we? This is the point in the narrative where Luke actually joins the team. This verse. You can highlight it, you can underline it, you can circle that we. It's the royal we. This is where Luke, a doctor, joins the team. He now becomes an eyewitness to all of these events. So let's move on to what has happened before. What had happened was, shared earlier that in Acts 7, Stephen was martyred. There was a young rabbi there, full of zeal for the law and the Torah, holding the cloaks and the coats of the men who stoned Stephen. His name was Saul of Tarsus. But Paul's story is simple. He became a missionary not the ones we think about. He became a missionary, and his mission was the execution of the church. To imprison, imperil, threaten, and murder people who claim that Jesus Christ was Lord. This was his mission. But one day on the, on the way to Damascus, Jesus Christ is revealed to Paul. Paul had nothing to do with it. He's knocked off of his horse, he's blinded, and he hears the words of God. In fact, this becomes so singular to Paul's identity and mission that he changes his name from Saul to Paul. And then we also see that he, he is not going to become a missionary of execution, but a missionary of salvation, not just to the Jews but to all the nations. And his preaching is simple. 
Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Messiah. So this is the story of, of Acts. This happens in Acts 9. And this becomes a story that Paul retells. In fact, it's one of his most favorite things to share with people as he's getting ready to share the gospel. Is his story of how Jesus Christ was revealed to him. I think so many times we think that we choose Christ. But Paul's saying, that actually never happened to me. Christ chose me. And when I was wandering afar, he illuminated my eyes by blinding me to the truth that I was on and opening them up to the truth of the gospel, that I was a sinner in need of forgiveness. And so he starts missionary journeys after a number of years. This is Acts 13 and 14. He travels all over the Mediterranean, mainly in Cyprus and Turkey. And he plants a number of churches simply by going into these cities, to these established Jewish synagogues and sharing with them that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, the one the nation of Israel had been waiting for. That he died a prophet's death, was martyred, but had risen again, and he now ruled and reigned in heaven. And one of the amazing things is that people believed. Their hearts were stirred up. Their hearts became hot with this truth, and they believed. In Acts chapter 15, Paul goes back to Jerusalem, and they have this Jerusalem council. All the apostles and, and, and elders said, is this okay that, that the gospel is going to the nations? And people now, don't, they don't have to follow all the Torah. They don't have to follow all the Jewish dietary customs, all the cultural customs. Is this okay? Unanimously, they agreed. It's better to have the nations worship the one true God than for us to hold on to traditions. So this is some of the context from Acts 15. So let's, again, go back to Acts 16, 1 through 9. Again, we crash landed in verse 10, but let's look back. And again, what's our, our main question that we're asking? How do we plant churches? How do we plant churches? And let's see from this narrative what Paul does. Starting in verse 1. Then he went on to Derbe and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman. But his father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and circumcised him because the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and were increased in number daily. Then they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia and were prevented by the Holy Spirit from speaking the message in the province of Asia. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So bypassing Mysia, they came to Troas. During the night, a vision appeared to Paul. A Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him cross over to Macedonia and help us. How do we plant a church? Well, let's look at 
these verses and pull out some truths. The first is that Paul, he, he's not going alone. He's with Silas, but he focuses on discipling the next generation. They meet a young man, Timothy, and we learn later in the, in the book of Timothy that Timothy's mom, his mother, a Jewish by birth, had believed in Jesus Christ in Paul's first missionary journey. Subsequently, had passed down that faith, had shared the gospel with her son, and Timothy had believed. From the text, we know his, his father didn't believe. His father remained a Greek. But Paul and Silas made the decision to focus on discipling the next generation. So they asked Timothy to come along with them and learn the truths of the gospel, learn the truths of Scripture, and be discipled intentionally by them. So what were Paul and Silas doing? Well, it says they were strengthening and serving the church. They were teaching, they were communicating the decisions reached by the Jerusalem Council, but they were spending time with the congregations that Paul had first started several years ago, praying with them, meeting needs, possibly working alongside them, strengthening the churches. And what happened as a result? People's faith grew, and also believers were added to their number. Strengthen and serve the church. I think sometimes when we talk about planting churches, there's a lot of people who kind of have this, maybe it's a sexy spiritualized vision of planting a church, where you start a church in your basement, and it's going to grow to thousands and reach a city, and so they just kind of check out from church. They start their own small group. They become their own spiritual pastor. That's not the picture in Acts. The picture of Acts is in community strengthening and serving one another. And all the while, while they were doing this, they were looking for new ways, new opportunities to share the gospel in new provinces, new Roman provinces. But seemingly, they kept being frustrated. Their plans weren't working out. They faced opposition. Doors keep closing. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I felt that way as a pastor. You have this awesome idea or this great thing is going to happen or your small group is going to just grow and multiply and it's going to be the best small group ever in the history of small groups. But maybe it doesn't happen that way. And doors close. And you're left wondering, what is God doing? Paul and Silas and Timothy didn't give up. They kept serving and strengthening the churches. They kept trying to go to places, but for whatever reason, things weren't working out. Their flight was delayed or canceled. But what does happen strangely enough, Luke joins the team. We don't know how. We don't have Luke's conversion story. But we have an affluent, educated, intelligent doctor and professional 
He joins the team. It's a great picture, I think, in Scripture of, of sometimes when you're trying to go after these big wins, trying to take the gospel to places, it might be better if you look around and see the areas of small fruit that God has blessed you with. And Luke joins the team. And then they see this vision during the night. During the night, Paul receives this vision. It's not the only time this happens to Paul. But there's a man, and he's begging Paul for help to come over to Macedonia, which the Romans counted as like all of Europe. Paul wasn't planning on it, but he sees this vision of a man begging for help. That word is, is really interesting when you start to break it down. The Greeks believe that word meant you run to the help of someone in danger. Someone needs aid and strength. And you run to them. You run to the battle. What's interesting is this word is also used in Hebrews. It says that Christ has gone through every kind of temptation. So when we are in need of help, when we are in need of aid, we can call out and pray. And Christ runs to our aid when we are facing temptation. But how often do we stop and pray when we're facing temptation and ask for aid and help from God? Or have we oftentimes made up our own mind that we're just going to be tempted and ask for forgiveness later? The word says that Christ will run to your aid in the middle of temptation. I'm reminded, uh, again, a story from Luke. We talked about it a few weeks ago, but there's a story of, of the rich man and Lazarus that Jesus is, is telling. And they both died, and Lazarus was this very poor beggar, and, and the rich man was rich. But Lazarus is in heaven, and the rich man is not. And the rich man tells Lazarus, begs him for aid. Go to my family. Tell them I don't want them to come into this place. And Luke is setting up the same story here. Paul, in a vision, hears the nations, hears all of Europe crying out, send us aid, help us. kind of a crazy dream to have. So he wakes up the next morning and uh, he tells his traveling companions, Silas and Luke and Timothy, hey guys, I had a dream that we should um, cross the Aegean and um, go to Philippi in Macedonia, province of Europe. And that, that's, where, that's where we should go. That's where our travel plan should be next. Let's come back to verse 10. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to evangelize them. 
pretty awesome verse. And God gives visions. There's an inception that he gives us of his church. People need to hear the gospel. And we have a threefold response. The first is it's embraced by a team. Paul is not this like Lone Ranger, maverick, superhero. He assembles a team, kind of like Avengers, okay? Assembles a team, and then they make every effort to go. It's not like this long idea. They make every effort to go. And then they go to evangelize. I think uh, evangelize is a great word there. And just a simple definition that I'd love to, to give to you. Um, evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. Teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. But here's something that we don't know about what's going on. You see, a few years ago, the Roman emperor, Claudius, decided to basically take all the Jews and literally punt them out of Rome. In fact, Jews were no longer welcome in Roman colonies. And so going over to Macedonia... It's a thoroughly Romanized province, and especially Philippi is the leading colony. God is asking this team of people to go right into persecution. Right into challenges, right into hardships. This is what planning a church looks like. And so we'll look at Philippi, and where's that that on a map just to give you guys a quick awesome so Philippi is right up there um, you can see uh, it's, it's a relatively uh, new Roman colony um, and it stands on this uh, road called the Ignatian Way um, and the Ignatian Way connects um, the Black Sea all the way over to the other side of, of Greece and you take a short a very short boat ride over to the Appian Way. And the Appian Way takes you right into Rome. So Philippi is situated on a trade route. It's been settled for a while, and there's really one reason why it was settled. Philippi was right next to silver and gold mines. So you controlled silver and gold mines, you were a wealthy person. You could fund armies, pay soldiers, do cool stuff that Roman emperors like to do. It's also the site of a famous battle in Rome. 18 legions versus 17 legions. A quarter of a million men fought a battle to determine who would be the next Roman emperor. Augustus won that battle. And as a uh, show of gratitude and a show of how wise and powerful and wonderful he was, he gave his legionnaires that had fought in that battle 
a Roman colony at Philippi. A Roman colony was great. You didn't have to pay taxes. I mean, all of us like that, let's, America, let's make some colonies. We don't have to pay taxes. A Roman colony was great. It was called Colonia Ulio Augustus Philippensis, in honor of Caesar Augustus. Again, a colony is a mini Rome. There's baths, there's theater, there's temples, there's the imperial cult where you would go once a year and worship the emperor as a god. As someone who is making all these things possible, a God over creation, a God who gave every good thing, and you would do that once a year. There's brothels, there's hippodromes, there's stadiums, gymnasiums. Everything Rome offered was in this colony. Its culture at Philippi was one of wealth. A lot of nouveau riche. There were military vets. Religious pluralism was there. You didn't just worship the imperial cult. You got to worship all the gods, whoever you wanted, just to cover all your bases. So nothing bad would ever happen to you. If you worshiped all of them, nothing would happen to you. That was bad. And if it did, well, it must have been the punishment of the gods. It was culturally snobby. We're a Roman colony, you see. We're at Philippi. All the inscriptions are in Latin. The population was about 10,000 people. And there was no Jewish synagogue in the city. So let's pick up and read the last few verses that we're going to touch on today. Acts 16. Verses 11 through 13. Then setting sail from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, the next day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, a Roman colony, which is a leading city of that district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for a number of days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river, where we thought there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. So we come back to this question that's been dogging us all morning long. How do we plant a church? We've looked at a team of two, Paul and Silas, commit to serving and strengthening the church via discipleship. And not just discipleship, but discipleship to the next generation. We look at a team of three, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they're looking for ways to share the gospel in new places. And we see a doctor join their group. And then we look at a team of four. Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke sit down next to a group of women seekers and share the gospel at Philippi. Convinced in a dream that they need to embrace the mission of going to Philippi as a team to share the gospel. 
So this is how the church gets started, and we're kind of leaving you at a cliffhanger, right? Because there's some more stories in Acts that we're going to get to. And we're going to get to them not next week, but the week after. The reason why is next week we're doing exactly what happens in the narrative. Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, they sit down and pray. Next week we're going to sit down and pray as a church. I can't wait. It's going to be exciting. But let's look at Paul's letter to the Philippians. And Paul probably went to Philippi uh, in A.D. 49. This letter is written uh, 15 years later to this church, a church that um, he has great affection and love for. And this is what he says, again, Philippians 1, verse 27. Just one thing. That makes it easy to remember. <laughs> yes. I get this like five-page letter and I have to remember just one thing. Like, I wish, that'd be great. Like, I know my wife sometimes sends me a text with like 18 things. Pick up this, this, and this at the grocery store. But Paul writes just one thing. Just one thing. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Just one thing, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live your life. Um, that Greek word is really interesting because if we're trying to translate this right from the Greek, it wouldn't say live your life at all. The Greek is, is uh, poly... It's from a command, polytumai, which means be a citizen. Paul is using the highest register of language, a command. Just one thing is a command, and he's saying be a citizen of Jesus Christ to this church that's about 15 years old. Be a citizen of of Jesus Christ. And this is where we start to see what is so radical about this idea, about this inception of the church in the world. You see, Philippi was founded by one man in Rome who settled thousands of soldiers into a colony to worship him as a god. This is why Philippi was founded. And if you worship me as a God, I'll give you everything you need in your life. I'll give you baths and brothels. I'll give you entertainment and stadiums and theater. I'll give you every possible blessing from all of the gods all over the world. Just worship me once as God a year. Live your life for me, for Rome. The Romans called it the cursus honorum, the course of honors. You'd fight in the legions. You'd get out of the legions, you would get your free 
farmland. You wouldn't have to pay taxes because you're at a colony. You could start a family. You could have everything you need and wanted. It's starting to sound a little bit like the American dream, is it not? Work really hard. Go to school. Put in your time and you can have a family and a couple, a couple cars and a house and some vacations. Everything will go great in your life. Buy in to the Roman dream. Worship Caesar as God. It's a little different from the gospel. It's a little bit different from the gospel because the gospel is one man from heaven, the Son of God, descends into the earth, and he doesn't ask people to lay down his life to die on a battlefield so that he can reign as God. This one man from heaven actually lays down his life. He perishes so that his people can live with him. And then he sends four people into a city to start a colony of heaven. When we talk about how do we plant a church one of the first things that we need to recognize is we're actually planting a colony of heaven where the true king reigns and the American dream and the Roman dream do not. The colony of Rome is man taking up the gods. The colony of heaven is God taking the form of man. And so the question that I'd like to leave you with, again, our series is five weeks long. We're going to be looking at the story of Philippi, the church at Philippi. And we've looked at how it began. We look at how it was planted. And it was planted by a king who laid down his life not just for the Jews, but for the nations. But there's two questions. The first question is this. Who are you colonizing? Or are you being colonized? Here's the deal. Everybody's colonizing. Everyone is colonizing. You want to buy a house in a new neighborhood where you can live, work, eat, play, do all that? buy life insurance, get a car, go to the gym. Everybody is colonizing you. We just call it marketing in America. We call it consumerism. But the greater question that God has for us, his people, is who are you colonizing? Who are you trying to reach with the good news of Jesus Christ? Because the good news of Rome and Caesar was that Caesar and Rome would protect you. That didn't work out very well for the Roman Empire. Who are you colonizing? And we've seen in Acts 16, four men with hearts on fire, burning up for the gospel, went into a city where they knew they were going to be persecuted because they wanted to colonize that city for heaven. The second question, how set are your travel plans or how set are your travel companions? 
Because you see, we looked at Acts 16. The travel plans of, of Paul and his companions were busted up. They didn't get what they wanted. Things didn't turn out okay. It's a lot like life sometimes. It doesn't go according to plan. But you know what was great about those ruined travel plans? And make, make no mistake, we, we look at that map, if you guys want to pull up that map again. Paul is crossing through mountain ranges on foot only to have a travel plan not work out. Some people might really like hiking. You know, some people are like, yes. But what was more important for Paul was his travel companions. You see, he got to live out the colony of heaven with people as they loved one another. So these questions, um, why don't you guys leave that, um, the questions up there for a second. I encourage you guys to write those down. Take a screenshot. Who are you colonizing or are you being colonized? And the second, how set are your travel plans or how set are your travel companions? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that... Um, Church is a colony of heaven with a rightful, good king. The king who's laid down his life for us. Lord, I thank you that you've given us a mission. We've planted the idea in our hearts to be a colony. And you've shown that us what that looks like by giving us the truth of your life death, burial, and resurrection. You give us the truth of what that looks like through your word, the truth of what looks like, that looks like through your Holy Spirit, and the truth of what that looks like by the people around us in the church. Lord, would you help our hearts burn hot with the gospel? Would you help our hearts burn hot with the idea of colonizing the places that we frequent with heaven? We pray this in your name. Amen.